Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we look at what investors can do to avoid the most common pitfalls we see fund managers make, with Nikki Eggers, Head of Investments, Miles Sherry, Investment Consultant, and Stephen Peters, Senior Portfolio Manager. To find out about starting your investing journey with Barclays, visit barclays.co.uk forward slash investments. Hello, welcome to another edition of Word on the Street. And it's nice to be back. You might think that I've had an extended holiday. I managed a long weekend in the wind and rain, but it's great to be back. And thank you to our listeners that are choosing to listen to this podcast rather than watch the denouement of the Olympics and the start of the Paralympics. So it's been really exciting. But anyway, today's topic is what it takes to make a really good fund manager. And naturally, the answer to that is very subjective. So rather than try to answer the question I've just posed, we're going to flip it on its head and look at some of the more common pitfalls that we see fund managers make. So what I was thinking about as I talked to our guests about this in advance is Around 10 years or so ago, there's a book about investing by a chap called Richard Oldfield called Simple But Not Easy. And frankly, that's a great title because many investment principles sound really simple, but getting them right is very tricky. And that's often down to how our brains work and whether you're a professional investor or a non-professional investor it really pays to be aware of some of the mistakes that can typically be made. So Miles tells me that we're going to publish an article on that, listing all of those. But today we thought we'd look at a few of the most common pitfalls. So as I mentioned, I have Miles Sherry, one of our investment consultants, back to help give us some insights on the common mistakes that he sometimes sees clients make. And also joined by Stephen Peters from our fund manager selection team. And as you can tell from his title, his role is all about selecting fund managers that are going to do the best possible job. So he's completely steeped in this. So firstly, hi, Stephen. Hi, Miles. How are you doing? Very well. Thanks, Nikki. Yeah, good. Thank you. You? Yep. Very, very well. And I hope you guys have managed to get a few days away somewhere at some point and enjoy the Olympics as well. Have you been inspired to take up any new sports? <laughs> Not quite, though, as we were talking about earlier, the uh, BMX and the uh, and the rock climbing is, is, is fascinating stuff, really. Fantastic. I heard today that if you get asked the question, what Olympic sport could you have a go at? A lot of people might say the walking. There's a 20 kilometre walk on the day of recording today. And you think, yeah, I could do that. But when you realise they do a 5k walk in 20 minutes, under 20 minutes, which is some way faster than I run a 5k. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you think actually it might be a bit harder than it first looks. Even if being dragged by a dog with that added impetus. Okay, so Stephen, I'm going to start with you because as as I mentioned, you know, you are you are talking to and keeping your eye on fund managers every day. So what's the first common mistake that you're looking out for when you're trying to pick the the best out there? In very short three words buying past performance so that's the wrong thing to do is that it? is the wrong thing to do okay. yeah so just like none of us drive our cars looking in in our rear view mirrors you wouldn't do the same when investing the, the trend as the phrase goes the trend is not always your friend it you know psychologically it's very reassuring very comforting to 
be able to buy something that's done well in the past. You might be able to tell your friends that you've bought this you know, really successful stock or, or fund or whatever that you've read about in the newspaper. But that, that doesn't mean it's got any guarantee of doing well in the future. And uh, professional investors that we, we see and I, I talk to, they often, if they do this, and um, they wouldn't necessarily tell you this, but what they'll do is they'll, they'll shift the blame on. They'll shift the blame onto the company. Maybe they'll say the company's changed or its management has done something they didn't expect. Or, um, you know, the, the, the most kind of lame excuse really is simply blaming the market. But in truth, it's really these fund managers having fallen for the biggest mistake that any professional investor or any uh, private investor makes. It's interesting, isn't it, that so many investors still actually easily make that mistake because I think we've all heard the old strapline past performance is no reliable indicator of future returns many, many times. But I guess it's natural. It's normal, isn't it, to be drawn to what is doing well. It's a bit like, in some respects, how someone in, say, a lower-ranked football team is going to probably struggle to say no if a team who wins the league comes in and tries to buy them. But there's obviously no guarantee that that same team will go and win again. And we were having these sorts of conversations with some clients last year when obviously we had some funds with a bias to the so-called quality and growth companies doing very well. But then, you know, you look at what's happened since November and that kind of rotation we've seen and some of those funds that underperformed last year have done very, very well so far this year. So really, it all ties back to making sure clients are focused on their long-term investment objective and it's important to not focus too much on the short term. But I'm sure, Stephen, that's actually probably a mistake that some managers will still make. Undoubtedly, being short term is number two in, uh, in my list of, of mistakes we see. And again, you just have to look at history. You look at the uh, TMT crisis in 2000, tech media and telecom crisis in 2000 to 2002, the financial crisis in 2007 to 2009, and even early last year around, around coronavirus. The, the magnitude and the speed of these moves felt enormously serious at the time. And fund managers uh, are humans and they can feel under pressure to rectify periods of poor performance. And they may be put under pressure by colleagues or clients and they make rash decisions. Often, many, uh, most of them are not always for the best. And so fund managers really do need to have patience and they need to have good support from their colleagues and their clients, a good culture of, a, of the business is helpful. But if they don't do it, over-trading, short-termism is just a, a recipe for poor performance and uh, also the extra costs that are brought about simply just by that extra buying and selling that they do. Yeah, absolutely. And just on that patience point, some managers will actually buy companies when they sold off a bit, knowing full well that in the short term, it's likely the share price may actually fall a little more. But the best managers are really looking for the longer term prospects. So trying to find the companies that over the medium to long term will perform better than the wider market. Yeah. And I know it's something that you and the team really try to make sure that you don't fall foul of yourselves. I mean, we, we, can't, we can't expect active managers to always outperform the wider market or benchmark, right? There's going to be times where you've got to take that rough with the smooth. And equally, we can't pressurize and expect them to be able to be all weather, so to speak. We have to give them time and space and, and practice what we preach to some extent. That's a really good point. And clients will actually sometimes ask us how much time we're going to give managers when they are potentially going through a bit of a period of underperformance. Now, 
I know, Stephen, there are no hard limits here, but it's probably interesting to understand what uh, what factors you sort of consider in that respect. There's lots of factors. Briefly, uh, style. Different managers have different styles and sometimes styles go out of favour. But it's important to note that time in the market is better than timing the market. And we have managers, I have managers that I, I monitor within our segregated accounts, our list of segregated accounts that we've owned for 10 years plus. And in those 10 years, some of them have had periods of two or three years of underperformance on an annual basis. But still, even today, over that period on an annual basis, they've probably outperformed by, in some cases, three or four percent per year. So the, the important point here is, as I said, is to be long term, be patient as an investor, as an investor in funds, as an investor, as a fund manager. And hopefully good things will happen, helped out by compounding. OK, great stuff. So I think by my count, that's two. So, so what's the next common mistake? Mistaking skill with luck. Fund managers are very quick to attribute good performance to their own, their own skills and uh, also very quick to attribute poor returns to bad luck or just simply, again, the market. It's very easy to confuse luck and skill. You do need to be able to look at data and be honest with yourself and with others to try and uh, clarify which is which. But it's also very difficult because the fund industry and also the mainstream media that write about funds and, and investing are keen to conflate the two or for marketing reasons. Managers that are too quick to believe their own hype tend to be ones that lose support from investors. And most importantly, they never get it back. Whereas the the, the better managers, the ones that are, are humble, are generally good communicators or you know keen to keen to communicate uh, in good times and bad, and also willing to, uh, to take the rough with the smooth. And just on that point you make there, Stephen, around humility, I've actually been lucky enough to sit in over the years on a couple of meetings the wider team have had with our managers and the likes of Stephen generally will challenge them. So they may suggest small changes to how the fund is being run, such as whether more focus should be given to, say, a particular sector or whether the manager should continue to stick with a underperforming company. And it's really interesting to see how the manager reacts to those points. And it says a lot about the culture of the team, too going back to what Stephen was saying earlier. But back to the mistakes. Another trait I find our clients at times have is to want to act, particularly, of course, during periods of volatility, such as what we saw last spring. And whilst not necessarily the best thing to be doing, it's understandable, I think, because sometimes reacting provides a bit of comfort. And again, presumably managers can fall victim to that as well, Stephen. Undoubtedly. The phrase here is don't just stand there, do something. That's, that's the, the, the phrase that springs to mind a lot. In order to be seen to be doing something, to do something to justify the, the fees that they're charging for their services, they may hear clients say to them, you know, I could do your job for less money if they see a portfolio, if clients have a portfolio where the, the holdings haven't changed from a, you know, over a period of three months or, you know, three years. And it's tempting. The temptation to fiddle with your portfolio to look busy should really be avoided at all costs. It Again, it in, incurs expenses. And it is a, a trend that I've often noticed with inexperienced fund managers or fund managers who, you know, as we were saying earlier, are maybe going through a, a slightly rocky time from performance. And so one other aspect that doesn't necessarily sound the most racy, but, but risk management is certainly from, from where I sit, feels like one of the most important elements of a successful fund manager or, or where it goes wrong, 
often you hear that risk management is an attribute that perhaps hasn't been strong enough. How do you look out for for good risk management, Stephen, in order to avoid those pitfalls? Well, risk as a term, it's it's only four letters, but it's so multidimensional. I'm just going to pick on one aspect of it, but that is the risk of losing one's job. And I think it's fair to say that one of the most important risks that fund managers manage is the risk of losing their job. By this, I mean that they may make decisions that unconsciously, I think it's important to say unconsciously, they may make these decisions about what they buy or sell, which are in their own career best interest, um, but maybe not as much in the interest of of that of their investors in their fund. And a good example of this is is if you buy a company or if a fund manager buys a, a large company, not because they think it's one of their best ideas, but because it's a large part of the benchmark against which their fund is measured. So if they're doing that, what they're doing is they're trying to reduce the chance of their the performance of their fund being massively different to that of the index, therefore avoiding difficult questions from colleagues or bosses or clients, and therefore staying in their role. So so to my mind, the best active managers manage their funds actively. And if you own a fund or if you are an investor that that doesn't like that, or if if you own a fund that isn't actively managed, you're probably better off considering the merits of passive funds or ETFs, which are I'll give you a market exposure, but importantly, we'll do that for a, a much lower fee. Couldn't agree more. And again, we have those conversations with clients pretty regularly. And it's interesting because most fund fact sheets will actually provide what's called an active share percentage. Now, essentially what that is showing you is just how much the fund differs from the benchmark index. So let's say you have a fund with a, I guess let's keep it simple, an active share of 50%. It means that half of the fund's holdings and weights directly overlap with the benchmark index. Now, if you're paying extra for active management, I think it's probably fair to say you want the team to have a high active share. And actually, some of our managers will have active share as high as 95% or so. But going back to the first two points, that clearly means performance can deviate substantially from the benchmark, both positively or negatively over the short term. And that's why, again, it's so important to judge active managers over the long term. I, th- I think those points are really helpful to listeners that might be wondering, okay, what should I seek to avoid? What should I look for when considering active funds? And equally, I hope what this shines a little bit of a light on is the kind of work that, that Stephen, you and the team are doing behind the scenes to actually select the best managers out there. I'm sure many of our listeners will read the headlines around average active managers not not outperforming their benchmark over long periods of time. And, And I think what we're trying to showcase here is that it's not because active managers don't have the capacity to, it's that you have to be very selective. And selecting is not a case of just looking at what's performed well in the past as as we tackled right at the outset of this. So with that, we hope you found that interesting and helpful. And of course, if you have any ideas for topics that you'd like to hear a little bit more from our experts on, then we'd love to hear from you. So with that, I will wish you a very good rest of your week and the rest of the Olympics if you're taking an active interest in that. And we'll have Miles and Stephen on very soon. 
investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.